Welcome to the Elevate Effect podcast, where we give you the resources to take you from workloads to workflows. I'm your host, Courtney. I'm an online systems educator for coaches. Fueled by cold brew and a love for watching endless reruns of Friends, I'm here to give you the tools and the support you need to scale your business and take back charge of your life and your time. So pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of wine and let's do the damn thing. Okay, everyone, I am super excited for today's episode because we are here with Amy and Cindy who are finance content creators, and we're already chatting all about money related stuff today. And it's going to be a lot of fun. It's something I personally love chatting about, especially with these two. You guys are going to love them just as much as I do. Um, I actually met Amy. Oh gosh. 2015. Has it been that long? Yeah, 2015. Oh my gosh. So close to 10 years we're pushing. <laughs> um, I met Amy in Switzerland. We went uh, bungee jumping out of a gondola in the Swiss Alps. And that's where I met her. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And then I got uh, to meet Cindy because I actually um, was able to work with them. I guess it was probably a month or so, two months ago that we had like a our consulting call. Um, So I got to meet Cindy at that point in time. So really excited for you guys to, you know, chit chat with us us today and for you guys to really learn more um, about them because they're amazing and also hilarious. So if you guys are not following them yet on Instagram, definitely want to go check that out. I'm going to have that all in the show notes, but Amy and Cindy, thank you so much for joining me today. And if you guys want to go ahead and just give an introduction for everybody so we can learn more about you and how you guys got started. Sure. Cindy, you want to go first? Yeah. Thanks for having us on Courtney. Um, so Amy and I actually met in third grade. Um, so we've been pushing about 20 years in friendship now and we've always really been, yeah, really been like-minded. We love, uh, helping people. Um, we've always been very, we taught ourselves a lot. We kind of grew up in, um, you know, lower income families, immigrant families, and always were like-minded in terms of making sure that we were, strategic about how, you know, our financials uh, were working for us. So um, Amy and I decided to just kind of create something because all of our friends were coming to us and we share a lot of mutual friends. Yeah. um, Honestly, sometimes Cindy and I will get together and we'll talk about how did we figure all that out? You know, like how do we figure out college loans? How did we figure out how to save? How do we figure any of this stuff out coming from, you know, first generation immigrant families? So that's really why we decided to, hey, since we figured it out, let's try to save some people that trouble and those those headaches. And, you know, maybe someone can learn from our mistakes. And that's really why we pretty much got together and created this uh, How Is She Rich page. Cindy and I's uh, financial skills and interests complement each other very well because I'm more so on the equities stock side and she is, you know, real estate extraordinaire. So we kind of, you know, we, we leverage off each other and we want other people to leverage us, uh, leverage off us. Yeah. I love that. And I, I was just sitting here thinking as you were talking about, you know, the mistakes that you made as I wish that you guys were around when I went to college or graduated from college, because I mean, you were around, but you know, doing what you're doing now, just because I feel like I, you know, graduated so ill-equipped with the knowledge that I wish I, I'm not that I have the knowledge now very much, but definitely more aware now of my finances. Um, I used to do credit consulting for a mortgage company. So I learned a lot doing that, but all these things that I didn't know coming out of college that to better prepare myself for and set myself up, um, for a healthy financial, um, 
journey, I guess, throughout the rest of my life, because I'm, you know, 30 years old now. And I feel like I'm just now starting to get it figured out. And that makes me feel very late to the game. And as a very, you know, type a planning perfectionist, uh, that doesn't sit well (laughs) with me. So I'm kind of like, man, I feel so behind. So I'm speaking for everybody. I'm sure that we're so glad to have you guys today because, um, you know, I think especially right now, uh, finance is a hot topic with, you know, potential, you know, well, not potential there's inflation going on right now, potential talking about a recession, you know, a lot of, um, uncertainty and instability in the economy right now. So I think this is a really good time to be having this conversation too. So, um, I'll go ahead and start diving into questions. Um, and I'll start with investing because that's obviously a huge topic. And I feel like there's, it's, kind of because becoming like a buzz topic lately, I feel like there's a lot more conversation around investing, um, than there used to be. And I know, you know, finances was kind of like a a taboo topic for a while. And I feel like social media has kind of opened that up. People are obviously, you know, coming around to, um, you know, being more transparent about, uh, their salaries or just finance conversations in general. And so I do want to kind of open up the floor with investing as, you know, a huge topic in our industry. And I know investing can be super scary. I'm terrified to invest, um, just because of the risk associated with it. And I think also just, you know, lack of knowledge and education around investing makes it scarier because I'm sending my money out into a world. I have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen, you know, and that that's scary, especially, you know, if we're in a time where, you feel like you need to pinch pennies a little bit more. Um, and so I really would like to get your all's feedback as far as, you know, maybe some first steps to start getting investing, uh, start getting into investing. Um, and how do you know when it's time to start or just some just general best practices or even some resources. If you guys have some where people could go to learn more, obviously you guys are one. Um, so again, if you guys are listening and you want to hop into the show notes, we have their Instagram handle linked here. Um, but I would love for you guys to start just kind of dive into that, to that topic a little bit. I, think that the the image that investing is scary was put out by these large investment firms, financial advisors, to try to get normal people like us to pay them money to invest money for us. They throw out all these jargons, all these complicating words that basically doesn't really mean anything. And like investing isn't scary and shouldn't be scary. Investing is actually very easy, very simple, but they don't make money they, as in, you know, like the big banks, the big corporations, the big financial firms, they don't make money if we find out that we can invest on our own, right? So yeah, it's very scary when you're listening to the news, you're reading all these articles, they throw out words, you have no idea what it means. And honestly, sometimes you don't really need to know what it means. Like, it's as simple as picking a brokerage. And when I say brokerage, like think, you know, Fidelity, E-Trade, TD Ameritrade, you know, that, that's what they call brokerage. Choose an account. You make an automatic, you know, you set up an automatic deposit to that account and then you just buy an index fund. You really, really, really only need to buy one fund, have one type of investment to kind of set yourself up for success. Like you don't need to go and pick rent, like all these stocks that they talk about. You don't need to know, you know, price over earnings ratio, what the, you know, gross margin is, any of that stuff. That, That stuff is fun to learn if you want to learn it. But in, to invest your money, you really don't need to get into the nitty gritty of that because that's what, you know, that's why these index funds exist. It's so that people who kind of want to take on a hands-off approach, but don't want to spend all these, don't want to spend their money paying for, you know, advisory fees, they can just pretty much plug their money into an, uh, an index fund and kind of just wash your hands clean of it and don't touch it for 30, 40 years, come back. <laughs> Simple enough. <laughs> 
become a millionaire. There you go. I, I, I make it sound really simple, but it really is that easy, you know, yeah. for resources. Like there, there are so many good finance content creators out there, not even just on Instagram, but on YouTube, on Twitter. And these people are out there, you know, really trying to help, really putting out, you know, free information. So I would say like social media is where you want to go. You want to follow these pages. They will break, you know, like they will help break down all these scary terms and kind of show you the steps. Yeah. And so I was, I was even going to say, and kind of chime in there, like, even as you're talking, like when you're talking about scary terms, right. I wanted to make sure to, you know, reiterate to, to everybody listening to not let that deter you or to let you to scare that off. Because for a lot of us that are not in the finance industry, that may sound overwhelming and, you know, attribute to the, the scariness because we don't understand the conversation or the day-to-day lingo, even, you know, that's, you know, something I think a lot of us are unfortunately unfamiliar with. Yeah, no, completely agree. And they, they do those, you know, they, they throw out those lingos everywhere for a reason. I mean, you sit down with a financial advisor and you're not going to understand a single word he's saying. It's because he's going he's gonna to use as much jargon as possible for you to get you to sign Be confused. up. He takes a, you know, 2% fee, no matter how much money you make, and then 20% profits on top or whatever, you know, their crazy commission structure. Stream yeah, stream yeah, totally. It. As someone without a finance background, I always thought that, you know, you needed to have a certain amount of money to even invest, right? Or, and I realized, or or you might have to be on like Reddit and read up all on all these stocks and have those like be following, you know, the NASDAQ and all that. Um, my first foray into investing that I didn't realize was investing until, you know, I hit the age of 28 was as a 23 year old at my first job and our CFO reached out and said, hey, why are you not contributing to your 401k? You're losing out on free money. And I don't know very many things, but I do know what free money is. And that's yeah. what we don't want to miss out on. And so I just kind of, you know, started socking away a certain amount of money. I didn't have to think anything about it because my um, employer handled it for me. And now come to age 30, I'm in the, you know, six figures with that. And I realized that's investing. And so you don't necessarily have to have an employer because there are programs out there that you can kind of do on your own. You just need to make sure you, you need to realize that it's not as scary as everyone um, is out to make it. It's, you know, simple. And you definitely don't need to be rich by any means. And then time is definitely your best friend. You don't need a whole, to make a whole lot of money to retire a millionaire. Um, I know Amy and I have done a lot of, you know, content on that kind of looking at the differences um, when you start investing at a certain age or how much you have to invest at a certain age to get to a certain point. And that compound interest is no joke. I know I was actually, I just, and I told you guys this the last time we chatted, I had a conversation with my husband because he's also a first generation American on our side. He actually got his citizenship last week. So oh, it's been a yeah. 10 year process and he finally got his citizenship last Wednesday. So first generation American on his side of the family and you know, where he's from, there is no such thing as a retirement, you know, opportunity or like a 401k or anything of that nature. And, you know, he's in a role now where they now finally offer a 401k option and a company match. And, um, you know, I explained to him about a company match and he's like free money. He's like, yeah. you, same thing. Like what you yeah. said, he's like, they're willing to match that and give me free money. And I was like, yeah, like you need to definitely sign up because this is literally like, you're just throwing it into the wind if you don't, but just like the, the whole, like you said, the education piece that a lot of us, you know, missed out on, I think 
what my financial class that I took in high school that was required education was like how to balance a checkbook. Like there was nothing like about stuff that actually mattered now that I'm an adult, like that I would, I wish I would have learned about taxes or investing or about just credit in general and, and how to utilize it and how to, you know, Amy, I, I know for sure you, you, you talk, you've talked a lot about credit cards, you know, and even how to properly utilize those and your points and things. And so, yeah, just, just lack of, lack of resources and knowledge. And, but you, like you had mentioned too, keep the little man little and everybody else profits from it. And that's where, you know, it stems from a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we talk about this too, how in high school, there's not a single, I mean, they make us take geometry. They make us, you know, whatever other things they make us that, take that we don't ever use ever again. Never in my life have I used a quadratic formula, but it would have been really helpful to know how a credit score is calculated. Yeah, you know? exactly. So just there, it's our formal education system lacks that resource. And so it's dependent on the person to find, kind of go out and find these resources themselves. And it's, it's easy when you have parents that already went through it and know and can teach you. So like, we talk about this too, like our nieces and nephews and our sons and daughters are going to be so lucky because when they get to this age, their credit scores are going to be amazing. They're going to have money in a high yield savings account. They might have a Roth IRA that we opened up for them, you know, all this stuff. But when you're a first generation, you're just kind of like, you, you have to fend for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I totally agree. And that's what we, you know, we have Luca, our son now, and that's what we, you know, we maybe both didn't start out on the best foot for ourselves, but we got to learn from our experience. And thankfully that is going to benefit him and any future children that we have in the long run. So at least we have that to be super thankful for. So we're able to, to, to pivot, to pivot and change, to change the circumstance for our kids. So, you know, another big piece that I really want to try to emphasize on is, is budgeting, because that's also important, even to just find out how much you have available to invest. If that is something that you're interested in doing. Um, and there's so many different resources out there when it comes to budgeting and like, you know, what is the right way to budget? And I, like, I even told you guys on my call, budgeting is uncomfortable for me because I'm very black and white and budgeting is kind of like a gray area. If that makes sense. It's not like, uh, okay, you for sure are going to spend this much every single month because that's not logical, right? That's not life. That's not what's going to exactly happen, you know, month to month. So do you guys have some top tips for setting up a budget or, um, you know, budgeting for success or even sort of like, like I said, for people like me who are very like, okay, I'm black and white. Like I need very hard, you know, or easy, like step-by-steps to understand how to start my budget. Yeah. So I would say, I, I, I feel like I'm the same way as you, especially when I first started and tried the budget and I, I got frustrated trying to trap every single detail and every single transaction and not having it line up. Like I was budgeting $500 for food. I spent 600. I'm annoyed. I'm mad. Yeah, same. At all. So I kind of scale. I actually went more general with my budget. So I, on, I, I, I say, I say this because a lot of people, when they dive into budgeting, they try to get as granular as possible and, it's just not, it's not feasible to be consistent with that. If you're the type of person who like needs to count every penny, you know, it, you're just not going to ever line up one-to-one. You're not going to line up exactly. So if you go, you take a step back and you go a little bit more general, like let's say, you know, your fixed expenses, you know, what your mortgage is going to be, you know, you know, just the stuff that you know, that you have to pay, you know, what your utilities are going to be, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then when you get to the area where you're just like, well, some of it I want to spend on food, some of it I want to spend on dining out, some of it I want to spend on clothes, just kind of make that your like self-care budget, like a big number you have. Like, let's just say every month that's $1,000, whether it's to dining out, whether it's uh, to shopping, whether it is, you don't really care between how that $1,000 is split. You just know you want to stay under that thousand dollars as like your fun expenses. When I started doing that, it was much more manageable for me because then I saw that, okay, you know, I, all my investments and savings are on an automatic schedule. Like it just gets deducted from my checking account. So that's all good. I pay my bills on the first every month. That's all good. And so every month I have a set amount to do whatever I want with it. What, I, you know, however I want to spend this thousand dollars a month, I can spend it. And then after the month is over, I kind of do the tracking. And so I have a group of transactions that's just like, this is my fun transactions. It all goes under this bucket. And as long as I stay under that set amount, I'm happy because you don't want to go over your fun expenses amount, right? You want to stay under. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of like my helpful tip. Like don't start so granularly because it's going to feel really overwhelming. And when it's overwhelming, you're not going to want to keep doing it. And the most important thing with budgeting and finances in general is consistency. So you want to do something that works for you that you know you can do consistently every month and not something that you're just going to do one month and be like, oh, I hate this. This is so much work and then just never do it again. Yeah, I was about to say that's how I would feel. Like I said, I'm the granular person who, oh, I went over my budget by $50. The whole budget's ruined. Yeah, I can't do it. it. Sucks. I'm, I'm done. I know. <laughs> I'm that granular person too. And I'm realizing that as different as we all are, we live really the same lives. I mean, trying to do a whole granular piece of it, right? And then realizing that we're just going to scrap it all together. And so like Amy said, it's all about consistency. And I do it very much, you know, like her. I um, Not only do I make sure that I'm taking care of my fixed expenses, like mortgage and, you know, all good stuff. I also make sure there's like an amount that um, is going to my 401k that's going to my, um, you know, savings for my emergency fund. And then once all of that is taken care of and kind of on, you know, an auto transfer, auto pay, um, everything else that's left in that checking account is for fun. And it's so easy to not have to track, you know, hey, I just build $6.81 for an ice cream. I know that there's this big bucket that I could spend and do whatever I want. And my emergency fund is still getting, you know, saved up, um, everything else is being taken care of. So I, I definitely think flexibility um, is kind of the key here to consistency. Yeah. Do you guys have a typical percentage that you recommend people transferring for an emergency fund or just savings in general, like a rule of thumb percentage or just kind of, you know, just within their means, I guess. Yeah, I, it's a uh, 50, 30, 20 is kind of like the general guideline. So 50 is to your needs, like stuff you cannot, like your mortgage is your needs, right? Um, and then 30 is to once and 20 is to savings and investing. And so that's kind of the general guideline. Like that's your, you know, if you can hit that, you're, you're good. But it, budgeting is very personal, obviously. So let's say you live in a super low cost of living area and your needs are only... 30% of how much, which is awesome. And so you get to allocate more to your savings and investing. And, you know, you, maybe you get to allocate a little bit more to your wants, but that kind of like is the general guideline that, you know, we and a lot of other uh, finance content creators recommend um, starting off with and seeing if you can hit that. And sometimes it's just not feasible, you know, like sometimes your rent is 60% of your income. What, what can you do? You know, like you, you shouldn't feel bad that that's your starting point. It's okay for that to be your starting point, you know, just have a goal on 
where you want to move those percentages and try to get to that goal. And then one, one other thing that I want to make note of is that a lot of people feel bad having these like 30% to once, which is like your fun stuff, right? Because they feel like they're so behind and they need to just save and invest the rest of their money, like 60% to rent and needs and whatever, and then 40% to 40% to your savings and investing. So you have no fun for yourself whatsoever. That is also not sustainable. Like no matter where you are financially, you should always dedicate some a percentage to your fund, like to your self-care, to your mental health, because if not, like you're working all these crazy hours and you never get to enjoy that money because that money is going to your landlord. And then that money is going into a bank account that you just see the number go up. It's not fun and it's not motivating. Like it's motivating to, you know, go out for a really nice dinner one month or one day out of the month and be like, you know what? I want to do this more often. So I'm going to figure out a way to increase my revenue to do this more often. Ads, you know, like, and, and it's also, it, it's important. It's important. Like no matter what you are in life, it is super important. And it's also super important not to feel guilty about it. Yeah. We actually talked about this on my call and I, I was going to bring that up because you, we, I mean, that's pretty much how we've been living. You know, we've been just, Oh, Oh, we're going to save everything or we're going to put it aside. And we, we don't spend, we don't shop, we don't do anything. And so we actually finally booked uh, our first vacation in two years. So we're going to Colorado um, in three weeks to go take a vacation take Luca to the mountains for the first time. So we're super excited, but um, that is just to be said, you know, it just like what you guys are talking about right now, like how important it is to still enjoy what you're, you know, what you're earning. Cause you, you do kind of get to like a state of burnout and it just, it stops not that, you know, finance is fun to everybody. I mean, we do, we do enjoy, you know, like when we see our savings account going up and that we do feel fulfillment, you know, a little bit from that, but there's also like, Hey, you have a life to live and <laughs> there, you know, you can do that too. So I am glad that you said that because that was a, that was a, um, a hard point for us, um, personally. Yeah. You can't put a price on, you know, those memories with Luca in Colorado versus like, uh, you know, a few more dollars in your savings account in general for savings. We um, like to shoot for about six months of your monthly expenses in the emergency fund. And then once you're, you know, once that's taken care of the rest could go to investing could be for fun, could be to other sinking funds. Like if you're saving up for a vacation or for a car or for a house. So uh, we kind of like to approach it there. Um, and then the other thing that we want that Amy and I always talk about, again, a lot um, of our content revolves around this is you can let the time do the work for you. You don't have to invest a massive amount of, of money. If you're looking to retire millionaire, for example, right? Um, if you're doing it at 20 versus 40 and Luca has the advantage of knowing to start at 20 versus like, you know, a lot of us, you know, we're yeah. like 30. <laughs> 30. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually have some numbers for this. Uh, if you start at 20 and just set, you're just maxing out your IRA. So just $500 a month, every month for the year, right? So it's $6,000 a month. That's all you're investing ever. If you start out at 20, at 65, you have $4.5 million in That's your- That's crazy. Why did nobody <laughs> tell me this? <laughs> I'm saying, but if you start out at 30, it's still a respectable number, but it's $1.7 million. Yeah. So those mm -hmm. extra 10 years, or, you know, even an extra five years or whatever it is, any extra amount of years, you know, like it, it, time is your best friend, you know, your money can grow exponentially. If you just let time do the work for you, I look forward to seeing Luca being basically a deca millionaire by the time yeah, I'm cool mom, <laughs> start investing at 18. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure. he'll be fine. He'll be yeah. great. <laughs> fine. Um, but no, and I think, you know, when you guys talk about, you know, building up the emergency fund, you having six months um, of your, your ex- dated or monthly expenses in there, I do want to kind of pivot the conversation into real estate a little bit. So Cindy, uh, this is probably, you know, kind of in your realm because especially right now, like real estate is so high, real estate is so high. Interest rates aren't awesome at this point in time. You know, there's, I guess, you know, rumor speculation that those interest rates are going to start to drop by the end of the year, beginning of 2023. But obviously that's a big chunk of change to be able to purchase a home or to have a down payment for a property. Um, and I know we've kind of talked about this because, you know, my husband and I's big interest is eventually, um, you know, having a rental property and to continue to grow that, you know, he can flip it, flip, he's in construction, he can flip a house like that perfectly works out to our advantage. But, um, like I'd mentioned on our call, coming up with the money for a down payment on a rental property is a lot. We're just a pro- your first home, like a primary residence is a lot. So, you know, with you kind of this being your background, do you have any recommendations or, you know, resources or anything of that nature to kind of help, help us to understand, you know, maybe there are other options that we're not aware of in terms of, you know, moving forward in the real estate um, market in terms, like, like I said, even for primary or investing, what are some steps that we can take? Are there resources or maybe even another podcast or something that you have some recommendation around for us that are interested, but you know, our pockets aren't super deep. (laughs) Totally. Totally. I think, you know, growing up, we all had these, um, well, we'll say misconceptions or myths, right? There's like a right way of doing things. You need 20% to, you know, put a down payment on a house and then you can buy something. And I think something that, um, Amy and I, and then my partner who does a lot of, you know, research, like at night, kind of trying to figure out other ways he's in his mind, He thinks that there are ways that, you know, people who are in the industry are doing this because they can't do it conventionally, right? There's no way to really scale if you're waiting for 20% every single time. And so we started looking into it and we actually did this recently. You do not need 20% as um, a down payment on a house. You could have less than that. I think a lot of people know that, but they are scared off by the thought of PMI, um, which is, you know, private mortgage insurance. And so we we personally just put down 5% because we knew that you can always refinance out of PMIs. So the $150,000 in cash that we saved allows us to number one, buy in a market that is rapidly increasing right now. We might be, you know, priced out by the time we save up 20%. That could be years from now to actually save all that up. Um, And then $150,000 that we're saving in cash, you know, that could be in our savings. We could invest it. We could put it back into the house and improve its value, which allows us to gain equity. And then, you know, once we hit the 20% in equity, we can refinance out of PMI. So I'll use us. um, kind of as a real life example, we're paying $350 per month in PMI right now on a million dollar house in Irvine. Um, so that, com- that comes around $4,200 per year that we're paying. Now that same house goes up by 10% next year. Um, and, you know, during pandemic houses, you know, went up on average by 20%. So let's say conservatively 10%, we'd have to pay $500 per month more on the mortgage to afford the exact same house. So you know, just keep in mind that you can always refinance out of PMI and and into a lower rate. We can't necessarily refinance out of like a higher purchase price if you were to hold off. And yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was like. I, we, we try to, we're like, Oh, well, you know, we're going to wait until interest rates go down, but then the housing prices are maybe potentially going to go up. And then we're kind of like, okay, why did we do that? Why did we wait? And that was thankfully what we hadn't done when we purchased this house, because we were like, Oh, we should wait. We should wait. The interest rates were pretty good, but the demand at the time that we purchased was, it was that time that it was absolutely 
crazy. I mean, we didn't even get to see our house before we put in an offer. We got the Zillow listing. We saw pictures and we had to submit an offer. Um, and we had closed on our house within 24, like, well, not closed, but you know, we had a signed contract within 24 hours of the Zillow listing going live. And, you know, so we, we came in in that time that it was just absolutely crazy. And like, thankfully we did because wow, like <laughs> then it just went insane from there, the market. It took off your equity. I know a lot yeah. of people are worried too about the high rates right now. I have my neighbors, you know, texting me, asking me um, if they should buy with high rates. And of course, no one wants a high rate, but kind of look at it on the, the flip side, right? With higher rate, you can get potentially a little bit more negotiation room with a seller. And, and from there, you can always, again, refinance into a lower rate. So it's kind of, a, I wouldn't say a win-win by any means, but with a higher rate, just know that you can get into a lower rate and, and versus buying at the height of the market. Um, granted, you, that might increase in equity, but you can't, you know, you can't refinance out of that higher purchase price. You can't refinance out of the higher tax basis, for example. So all that to say, I, I definitely think you don't always have to be super uh, coldly rational. It's one of um, Amy's favorite books, Psychology of Money. When it comes to financial decisions, you should just aim to be reasonable. Think about making it work for you. Um, we can talk a lot about to, you know, this is something that people always think they should do is uh, paying off debt before they invest, kind of relating back to what we were talking about before. So I know a lot of people think that any extra money they have, they should devote to um, paying off their mortgage early. I know Amy's done the calculations on this. I don't know if you want to jump in, Amy, but we had some numbers that we crunched based on like how much you'd actually save on interest versus how much money you'd have if you had invested that, you know, exact same mortgage payment. Sorry to interrupt this episode, but this will be really quick. I know I don't need to tell you that the legal stuff always feels overwhelming and scary to think about in our business. And it also isn't the fun side of business, but it's the necessary side to successfully scale and grow your business. In order to scale and empower ourselves, we need to take the steps to learn about what's keeping us at risk to avoid it in the future. That's where my friend Joey comes in. Joey is a lawyer and a legal coach, and in his course, The Legal Launchpad, Joey gives you his exact method for legally protecting your business. So step away from the legal stress of your business and join The Legal Launchpad today. Check out the link to his course in the show notes below. Alrighty, let's get back to the show. But we actually have a post about it, uh, but it's around like eighty, a hundred thousand dollars. If you were like, so I think this is a very old financial saying that like you want to be debt free before you invest. You should always focus on paying off debt. No debt is good debt. Blah 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 blah. That's a lie. That's fake. All the richest, most wealthy people are in debt, but they use debt to their advantage. They use leverage to their advantage to you know build up this multi million dollar real estate portfolio that they then, you know, continue to do cash out refinances of. So they keep getting more money, you know, like debt is good when you know how to use debt, credit card debt, not good, you know, but like low interest, three to 4% debt that you're using to buy a real, like a property that you're then going to fix up and, you know, like refinance to, you know, get the equity. That's good debt. Right. So you don't really have to focus up on paying your debt before you can invest. And sometimes you can actually even use debt for your investing. So not all debt is bad debt. To pivot a little bit, if you had something like student loans debt, right? That's obviously not good debt. Like you can't leverage off that. But if your percentage was three to 4%, you don't need to focus on paying that off quickly because you would get more if you took that extra money and invest with it. Because that's 
SPX, S&P 500, their average return is around 10% a year, right? So just the difference of that, like if you took that extra money invested in the S&P 500, you're getting a different differential of around 6%. That's better for you, right? Financially better. But to go back to what Cindy said, you should aim to be reasonable and not rational when it comes to finances. This quote is basically saying that that's the rational thing to do because you end up net positive when you're taking that extra money to invest with versus paying off your debt. But some people, like I said, personal finance is very personal. Some people want to be debt free. Like they cannot live with this anxiety of having debt, no matter what the interest rate is. And that's totally fine. If that's who you are, then yes, focus on paying your debt off first, because that's the reasonable thing for you to do. Right. So always focus on what is reasonable for you, not necessarily what is rational, ra- rational and what everyone else tells you. Yeah, I uh, I hate to admit this. I mean, I guess not hate because at least I was trying. But when <laughs> when um, I had just graduated college, somebody offered, I guess, like the, it's a gifting program through it had offered to put me through the Dave Ramsey, um, financial peace university. And so that like set me up to be super like anxiety ridden about debt. Like I was like, I can't have any debt. Like I have to have a car paid off and like, I can't have a mortgage and all these things. And obviously as I got older and kind of lived in the world for a little bit. And I went through that. I was like, you know, in credit consulting and I started to understand the differences between good and bad debt and how to leverage them, um, you know, in my life. And now I'm like, okay, maybe that's not, I mean, it works for some people. And like you said, finance is very personal and, you know, it was a great program and I did learn a lot and I did get a good, you know, stepping, it was a good stepping stone for me in my financial education, so to speak. Um, but you know, it just wasn't for me in all aspects, <laughs> just from, you know, that specifically, like you mentioned with debt. Yeah. I didn't want to name drop, but that's who yeah. I was. Talking. Yeah. That kind of figured. <laughs> yeah. The infamous debt is bad, no matter what. Yeah. Like, some of this stuff is really good. Yeah. Uh, just that part. I will never see eye to eye with it. Yeah. So I do want to kind of talk to, because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are entrepreneurs. And so we don't, you know, benefit from having a 401k or a company, well, you know, a company match or anything that helps us to build our retirement in the way, you know, that like the con of entre- being an entrepreneur, right? Well, one of like one of the cons and or but there's pros, right? Anyways. So do you guys have some recommendations for people who are self-employed when it comes to retirement? Do you have typical recommendations on types of accounts that they should open? Um, and I know that it, it, you know, it is personal person to person and depending on their business and things of that nature, but maybe just kind of like a baseline starting point. Yeah. I, I can talk in general on this, but uh, it obviously depends on the type of business right. running, who they have yep. and whatnot. But if you're just self-employed, like you have your own company, but you are the only employee, you can qualify for a solo 401k. So what that basically is, is you are both the employee, you can make both the employee and employer contribution to this account up to $66,000. Well, it's going to get changed to $66,000 next year. I was just about to chime in on that because I saw your all's post yesterday. I think it was about the contribution uh, limits getting raised next year because of inflation. Exactly. So yeah, so next year it's going to, the max is going to be $66,000. So you as an employee can contribute up to $22,500. And then you as an employer can uh, basically contribute the rest of it to it. There's a little, there's more nuances. It kind of depends on how much you make, et cetera, et cetera, but that's kind of like the general gist. Um, And that's if you only have you as an employee. So basically 
contractor, like you're, you're your own 1099 contractor. Yeah. Exactly. That's not the case. There's this thing called a SEP IRA. I can't remember what SEP stand for. I think it's self-employed pension IRA, something of that sort, more, more jargon, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. IRA. <laughs> Same concept, but you don't have to be the only employer. The only con of that is that there is no employer contribution. Like you as an employer can't contribute to that, but you yourself can contribute up to 66,000 into that account. And the, the major differences between those two, I think it's when the, so there's different tax nuances when it comes to those two, but those are the kind of general two routes that you can go down if you're an entrepreneur, self-employed, um, and you're trying to, you know, take advantage of these tax advantage accounts. Okay. Amazing. And I know too, we've, we've kind of talked about some general steps. And so I'll kind of, you know, with our last question, cause I know we're getting close on time is just maybe some general, like sound steps for somebody that's wanting to get their finances on track. You know, Cindy, I know you mentioned six months of your emergency fund. We talked a little bit about debt and what that looks like, but do you guys just have kind of like a baseline? Like, Hey, this is our typical recommendation. Like I haven't really focused much on my finances. I feel super overwhelmed and anxiety ridden. I don't even want to look at my bank account because it makes me sick to my stomach type of feeling. I'm sure we've all been there. Um, I used to log into my bank account like this and I was <laughs> for those that can't see me. Like I've got my hand over my face, like peeking over. I, I, I really, it, I was anxiety ridden about it at one point in time, you know, college graduate wasn't hardly making any money and it was scary to open my bank. account. I just would rather not know, just rather not know. So, um, do you guys just have some general baseline um, advice for anybody that's looking at maybe kind of pulling themselves out of the weeds when it comes to their finances? Yeah, I'd start with kind of looking, taking a hard look at your budget, number one, just to have a realistic um, standpoint at, at where everything is. And then, of course, hitting the emergency fund. We kind of, Amy and I went through our personal um, priority pyramid, we'll call it. And so we identify kind of the emergency fund first with about six months, maybe up to nine. And then uh, like we talked about earlier on um, getting that employer match, if you can get it, that that free money, you definitely don't want to miss out on that, right? And at least contributing up to that. So typically an employer is contributing or matching you um, everywhere, anywhere from about three to 5%, Amy. And so even if you can make that very amount, like don't miss out on that free money. And then from there, you can kind of, you can go many directions. You can continue um, contributing beyond that because that money grows, right? Some Something that Amy and I um, crunched numbers on was if you start start investing at 20 years old, you want to get to a million dollars. You only have to invest $225 per month. Now, if you wait until you're 40, um, you can still get to a million dollars, but you're going to have to contribute $1,125 per month. So time's on your side just to, you know, get that into everyone's brains again. Um, and then you want to tackle maybe it's high interest debt. Maybe you have more money to invest. You want to put it into um, FSA or HSA. Maybe you want to max out your 401k. And then from there, you can kind of move on to a taxable brokerage, which is just a fancy way of saying, you know, anywhere that you're kind of Robin Hood. Um, what else, Amy? I, I use Robin Hood. So that's all I know about. I think the most important first step is to create a budget. And we, we've sat with a couple of people now for our, our consulting sessions that, you know, hasn't been officially launched yet. And I think the what we realize is that not everyone has a budget. Most people actually don't. It, it's hard for us or any, or even for you to figure out where your money needs to go if you don't know where your money is going right now, right? So we can sit there all day and like talk in general terms, but there can't give you a percentage of how, like you can't set aside a percentage that you want to invest, that you want to save, or that you want to pay the debt if you don't know how much left over you have, 
after you settle all your needs, like all your mortgages, all the stuff you can't do, right? So the first, very first, first important step is to create a budget. Like just sit down, don't think about anything else. Don't think about your financial situation. Don't think about, you know, how bad your bank accounts are or how good, you know, anything. Just don't think about it. Just don't think about anything. Just look at what money you get, like what your income is coming in and what, where it needs to go out, like stuff that you cannot cancel, stuff you cannot get rid of, and then see what you have left over. And then when you get to that money, like that part where like you're kind of seeing where, where you're at and how much money you have left over per month to, you know, do stuff with, then you can kind of figure out your investing, your savings, your, you know, your fund, whatever it is. But definitely need a budget. Like everyone needs a budget. I don't care how rich, how poor, whatever you are, you need a budget. <laughs> I agree. And I think that's why I, you know, like we, we talked about budgeting earlier, why it was such a sticking point for me, but, um, thankfully since our call, it's not as bad anymore. So thank you for that. <laughs> and I think that's a good point to kind of, you know, like, you know, wrap up the conversation. Uh, you know, I had mentioned the consulting call you had kind of just briefly chatted about it. So, you know, for anybody that's listening, um, Amy and Cindy, how, if they wanted to work with you, if they had questions, you know, what are their options? What's it going to look like for you guys over the next couple of months? Um, obviously they can come and follow your Instagram account, um, which we'll link in the show notes. It's at how is she rich, but what are their options for coming to you all for, for any type of financial advice? We are, you know, open in our DMS. You can message us there anytime. We're very, you know, responsive. We are actually also working on releasing a free budget template. Courtney, I don't know you remember, but we sent out this new client questionnaire had uh, reached out to us for a consulting session, we're planning on now attaching that free budget template with the new client questionnaire, because we just feel like those consulting sessions will go much more efficiently when we get on and kind of review your budget. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely, you know, look out for that. Not, it's not only just going to be sent out for people who want, uh, you know, to book a consulting session with us. It's actually going to be on our link tree for anyone to download because it's just going to be a free template that we're releasing. And if you want to work with us in a, an official capacity, you know, like actually hire us as your financial coaches, just contact us through DMS and we can all get all that set up too. It's not, we're, we're not ready to officially launch yet. You know, we're still working out the kinks, making sure the process is all smooth, but we are, you know, taking on clients that reach out to us um, and, you know, and want, want the help and need the help. Yeah. I think I was knocking on your guys' door like six months ago. Like, hey, you guys, can you, can you help me? I'm ready. <laughs> um, but no, and, and, you know, depending on the time that you guys are watching or listening to this podcast episode, they may or may not have released consulting by this point in time. So definitely still feel free to check out the links in the show notes because, um, they are both phenomenal. Uh, I loved chatting with them. And I think what was so great about, you know, working with them both is they just made the conversation very easy and, you know, finances is not something that's exactly, you know, easy to talk about. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you may be, you know, feel embarrassed about your financial situation or just general lack of knowledge. I know like for me personally, I was, I guess I wasn't, I don't know if nervous is the right word, but I was just kind of, uh, you know, going to the conversation, like they knew a lot more than I did. And I felt like, uh, you know, I guess dumb is probably not the right word, but maybe I did. I felt dumb. <laughs> um, and I was like, and I think I even said, it's like, please don't think I'm stupid. I swear. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but wow. I, I do just, you know, for everybody listening, just want to kind of like sing their praises because they do make it a very easy conversation. Um, and they do make you feel very comfortable. And so I want you all to definitely, you know, walk away from this conversation, knowing that they're such a great, great reason source for you. If you are at all feeling uneasy or uncomfortable or overwhelmed about your financial 
financial um, situation. So definitely at least reach out, shoot them a DM if you have questions um, or just introduce yourself because they're both great. You'll love them. But yeah, so Amy and Cindy, uh, thank you guys so much for joining me today. As always, it's so fun to talk to you guys and you guys are just a wealth of knowledge. So as with every podcast episode, we wrap up with some fun rapid fire questions. So are you guys ready for your questions? Okay. I'm going to start. Well, I'll just ask the question and then Cindy, if you want to answer first and then Amy, you want to go after her. All right. Okay, cool. So we'll start with the, the, the hard one that I thought. Um, but what Cindy is your favorite food? Like if you had one last meal to choose, what would you choose? This is actually my favorite question to ask everyone else. I'm so happy someone's finally asking it of me. Uh, pad thai, a spicy pad thai. Pad thai thai is really good. It is 100% going for a five-star omakase. So, so Amy's with the sushi. If you guys uh, follow Amy, she's on her personal account, but she is always eating sushi. And I, when I was pregnant, I think that was like the biggest torture ever watching your stories (laughs) because I love sushi and I couldn't eat it. I was like, Oh, it looks so good. Okay. My, I asked my husband this question and he answers a chicken sandwich every single time. I'm like, you are so boring. Live in your, live in your life. I got to know where eventually. Yeah, he just, didn't even, you know, like didn't even, not even any specific type of chicken sandwich, just a chicken sandwich. And like, mm. all right, well, not, not, don't put me down for that one. Um, to each his own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. What is your dream travel location? Ooh, um, I think I've gone to mine, which is Bora Bora. Um, so I think next one would be, I really want to do safari in Africa. Ooh, that would be cool. That would be cool. Before. It looks really neat. I, I think I've gone to all of mine. Uh, I was about to say. I think the only one, I would say Antarctica. Antarctica. That is my last, my last dream vacation, my last continent. Mm-hmm. I need to go before all the ice caps melt and there's no longer Antarctica. Yeah, I was about to say, Amy, how many countries have you traveled to at this point? 51. 51, okay. okay. Cindy, are you a big traveler too? I am, but not at 51. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I'm at like 18. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because I, when I, when I asked the question, I was going to say, or maybe you've already been to your dream travel location. Cause I knew Amy traveled a lot, Cindy. I wasn't totally sure if you, you did, but I would definitely, um, my husband and I both really want to go to Norway. I think Amy, you've been to Norway. Oh, haven't yeah, you? Norway yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's on the list. But... Norway. Yeah. Um, okay. What are you currently reading? If you are reading a book. Ooh, uh, my sister just sent me Verity, which um, Amy and uh, yeah, and her, uh, she, they read together and they were like, you have to read this. I do not read very many books and I liked it. Yeah. Okay. What about uh, you, Amy? I am starting We Are Never Here or okay. We Are Never There. See, I don't know what that's called. Not it's even totally book. sure. It's, it's a book. Those, but it's also like suspense mystery thriller. I'm kind of on this suspense thriller kick after I started Verity, mm-hmm. went and read like five different mystery murder books and this is my see i'm getting book. jealous because like i'm seeing everybody posting about the, it's colleen hoover right mm-hmm. yes yeah. yeah colleen hoover books and i love reading but i have had since you know i had a child to my time yeah, is like super limited <laughs> no so i have a child i run a business and got a home and two dogs and a husband and um when i you know lay down to read at night it typically ends in about 30 seconds because i fall yeah. asleep so yeah i'm like i want to get on the train but it's just not happening for me right now. Yeah. um okay what is your favorite tv show oh that's 
tough one. That's, Amy, that's maybe you take one. that one first. I got to think about that. My favorite ever TV show? If you can't name one, like top three. I mean, I have one, but I feel like this one is no longer appropriate for the times and it might get me canceled. <sighs> now, now we got to know what it is. Friends. Oh, I'm still, I love friends. I love friends. But you know, all the controversies <laughs> about how it was like, it's now inappropriate and all these things. Yeah. I'm like, I know what I I'm know. still a diehard friends <laughs> fan. It's so funny. So yeah, I, I friends. And yep. if I get canceled for friends, I will, I will get canceled. Yeah. 20 years of friendship. I did not know Amy's favorite show would be Friends. However, yeah, it's, um, it's a classic really surprise. Uh, Breaking Bad for me. I really enjoyed that. I'm re-watching that right now. I yeah. love Breaking Bad. It's like one of, the, I'd say Friends, Breaking Bad. I hate admitting this, but Grey's Anatomy. I was like a diehard Grey's Anatomy oh, fan. That is my second favorite show. I yeah. Love. But then like after Derek died and Christina Agreed. left, I was like, Totally. What are you guys doing? You should have ended the show. Now they're like on season 20. I'm like, okay, this has gone too far. <laughs> go until like we're 65 and we retire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like be operating. Um, yeah. It's, it's crazy. But yeah. A long time ago. Yeah. But those are like my, what is it? Like my comfort blanket TV show. Like if I just want to like lay in bed and have like white noise on in the background, it's like friends, breaking bad, Grey's anatomy. I'll throw on a Harry Potter movie. That's not a TV show, but you know, you get it. So um, okay. Last question. What did you want to be when you grew up? That's easy. I want to be a doctor and that, you know, quickly was shot down when I got a C in chemistry, my very first year at, at USC. So I was going to go into nursing school and my chemistry final on my first semester oh. of college did not serve me well. Yep. Exactly. I wanted to be an astronaut. Okay. And that dream was also quickly shot down when I realized you needed to have like perfect vision, perfect health. Perfect oh yeah. Everything. And I had got classes as soon as I was in fifth grade. And I was just like, yeah, no, same. We're going to pivot. We're going to yeah. be an accountant now. There you go. Same thing. Very, basically. It was very realistic and a yeah. little bit of a downgrade, but you know, mm-hmm. we made it through. We got, we became an accountant. Yeah. No, I wanted to be Indiana Jones. it's like the travel and like I'm a big history buff so I'm like hey it's both the best of both worlds he's like a travel archaeologist and he learns all about history and he also like beats the bad guys so that was that was my childhood dream so anyways well you guys thank you so much for joining me today it was such a fun conversation as always um and like I said for everyone listening go check out the show notes to pop over to their Instagram shoot them a DM say hi but again thanks for joining me today and I will see everybody else on our next episode uh, thank you for having us it was super fun thanks guys bye guys thanks so much for joining me for another episode of the elevate effect podcast If you liked what you heard, share the episode with your best friend, team member, or even your dog. If you have a minute, leave a review below or DM me on Instagram to let me know what you want to hear on the podcast next. Thanks again, and I can't wait to see you next week.